Hi, and welcome to the Chasing Care podcast. On today's episode, I'm delighted to say we're speaking with Heleth Wynn. She's a solicitor with Shakespeare Martineau and provides legal advice on how to protect your assets and get the care you're entitled to. Quite an interesting subject at the moment with all the cost rises that we're hearing about, local authorities being cash-strapped, therefore they probably don't want to provide care to anybody if they can get away with it, or or maybe just the minimum amount of care that they are required to in law. And I was reading the other day, Elith, that the cost of residential care rose by 19% over the past year or so. But before we dive into some questions around funding and, and how you might be able to protect yourself, can you introduce yourself for the audience so they can know who you are? Yeah, thank you. So yeah, as I say, Halad Wynn, I'm a solicitor and working in Shakespeare Martineau, and I deal with all things long-term care, as well as all the other things people don't want to think about, like sort of tax, wills, and, and that sort of stuff. And broad church, and, but care, I think, is one of the things that really sort of gets me gets me going if i if if that makes sense because i think you're in the right place here (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly why this podcast was started because all things can get me going excellent so i think for me because you know like like everything the law underpins so much and people don't understand the legislation even you know people who are perhaps working in the sector don't understand the legislation that underpins all these decisions and my, so my mantra when I'm talking to clients is going, well, you'd be really upset, wouldn't you, if the criminal law was flawed, flouted just as much as, as this is. So let's, give, let's tell you what your rights are, tell you what you're entitled to, and let's make sure that people do what they're supposed to do. So that, 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 that's probably, in a nutshell, where I'm at. Okay, well, we've only got about half an hour or so, so we probably won't be able to cover all aspects, but... <laughs> From a layman's perspective, for for an audience out there that's not sure what their entitlements are, what their rights are, can you paint a a very broad picture for the audience of somebody that might be thinking about home care or residential care for their loved one or some form of supported living? What rights do they have? Sure. So I I think, you you know, there are lots of rights. People are entitled to do what they want to do. And, you know, you, you can have care if you want it, not if you don't want it. And I, and I think that the, the two sort of big bits of legislation that, that really sort of underpin at the moment, although there's an awful lot and I won't go into, into huge detail, is there's the Care Act in, in England, which came in in 2014. So it's coming up, you know, the 10 year anniversary soon. And the Mental Capacity Act 2005, which is a little bit older, but together they are really both important spines to the care aspect. So if you have capacity, as in, you know, you're perfectly entitled to make whatever decision you want to do, I want care, I don't want care, that's fine. You can refuse care, nobody can impose it on you. If you lack capacity, then decisions have to be made in your best interest. So people might find that somebody's a family member who's got dementia, forms of, you know, maybe a stroke and can't articulate what they want, that there are care packages put in place that people think is the right answer. But ultimately, you know, where is that care provided? There's lot, there's options. I mean, we all understand the cradle to grave NHS. Happy days. We love it. Fantastic. Um, fantastic resource that we have here in the UK. But, you know, it's strapped for cash. We know that. It's strapped for staff. And 
it's very much a case of, you know, if you're in hospital, you're probably these days, you're getting patched up and you're getting the medical bit done. But then the social aspect of that, of that care, what people would have perhaps historically thought convalescence is no longer being done in hospital. I was talking to a former nurse and she said, you know, I remember, I remember when I was training, you know, training, people had a heart attack, you know, the first six weeks, they just sat in a chair, you know, she said, now it's like, great, happy days, put a stent in, off you go, 48 hours. But there's still that period of time where people might need that that support, or there might be a period of time when actually people need much more support because they've become they've they've completely lost the ability to remain sort of independent. And then where where does that care come in? So your options are you can stay home and get care coming into the house, and we've all heard the stories about fifteen minute care. Um, that's not enough. You could go into a care home if you wished, and there is an opportunity. Um, to pay- Depending on how ill somebody's been coming out of hospital, they can have up to six weeks, sometimes called rehabilitation, sometimes called reablement, sometimes called a stepping down bed and other things like that, which say actually just gives you a bit of a breathing space. You know, you've had a nasty fall, broken your hip, let's get you back on your feet and let's get you you know, back to the level of independence. You might say, I want somebody to live in full time because I want that level of 24-7 care home um you might say actually i don't want to stay at home anymore um, it's got bad memories for me i don't like it i don't feel safe i'd rather move into a residential setting and at which point you know you know there's choice you know like everything you can choose care homes you know like you can choose hotels and then we have nursing homes for people who have more significant health needs what we have there at that point is going, okay, you can choose where you live and what sort of care and support you're given, but who's paying for it? And this is the thing that really gets people cross. As I said, cradle to grave NHS, everything's I've paid my taxes, I'm going to get my care paid for. And at this point, I, you have to point out that actually it's only the NHS care is free at point of delivery. Social care is different to NHS care. Social care is not health needs. And social care needs are outside the scope of the NHS and therefore they are means tested. And okay, can really- I just jump in there? This is uh, quite an important point, I think, for people that have maybe been in a hospital environment. They've had their surgery or they've They've been looked after by medical staff at the NHS. Where do, when does that physically stop as a point of free service to somebody? Is it as soon as they walk out the roller doors in, in the front of the, the hospital? It can be. It can be. That's it. You're no longer, you're, you're no longer sufficiently ill to be in a hospital. So over to you. Um, I mean, I, so I, I, about 10 years ago, I ended up sort of having an emergency surgery and I was in hospital and I left hospital. The district nurse came around periodically to change some dressings, but actually if my family hadn't been around to do the cooking and the cleaning, I'd have been on my own. Um, because the NHS like, well, we've done a bit, you know, done the emergency surgery, we've patched you up. You, you don't need to be taking up a hospital bed anymore. Thankfully, I was, I was sort of, you know, at that stage of my life where after some, you know, home cooking and being looked after a bit, I was back up to being independent. Had I not been independent, um, that's that's the grey area. The grey area is, well, actually, you've been discharged from hospital. 
because you want to go home because everybody wants to go home. But what does going home look like? And where the NHS social care funding bleeds into each other is the NHS still says care is free at the point of delivery. If your care needs are deemed to be health needs and they are driven by a health need. So um, if I'm unable to administer certain drugs, then somebody who was qualified to administer those drugs would give me those drugs and that would be possibly a care, a health care need and therefore covered by the NHS. Somebody washing, cooking, cleaning, helping me get up out of bed, helping me to get into my chair, that's not health, that's social care. And it's that understanding that you have to be quite rigid in your thinking that basically is a doctor or nurse providing this care to you Yes, if they are, then that's probably that, that'll probably be NHS and therefore free. Or is it somebody who is a family member or a care worker who's not medically trained? That's social care. And that's paid for by somebody. You know, the essentially, it's either if you have very little in the way of assets, the state will pay. Or if you have modest means... And in England, um, the real bottom line for, for care funding is 14,250. Uh, if you have assets over 14,250, you will be contributing towards your care costs. It, contribution at 14, between 14,250 and 23,250, I say it's a contribution towards. If you get over 23,250, you're paying for everything. So... There's, there's nothing. There's no contribution towards that, that care cost at all at that point. You're, you know, that's dipping into your own pocket. That's, that's you paying for your 15-minute carers to come in or, you know, you're, you're living in a care home. Well, let me just, again, for, for people that are listening in, qualify that for somebody. I, I, I rent my home, but I do have £14,000. Therefore, I'm paying, Yes. I've got fourteen thousand pounds in a bank and a savings account. So you won't. You 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 are just under. You are at that point. You're not paying. If you had sixteen thousand, you would be paying a contribution. Okay. I own my own house. I've got no savings, but the the equity in the house is worth fifty thousand pounds. So you're in luck if you you're in luck if you're in your own home because they will disregard the value of your home whilst you're living in it. If you move out of that home into residential care, then it's all up for grabs. Okay. So uh, this is very again. This is why, as you said, it does get a bit confusing for people, doesn't it? So I don't want to live in my own home. Therefore, I want to live in a residential care home. That means I'll have to pay for that care. Yes. If I decide, actually, I can stay in my own home, I want support, then I might not need to pay for the care. So who does somebody go to to work out all of these questions in, in terms of the, these assets, this money, and do they need a financial advisor? Do they need a tax specialist? Do they need you? <laughs> Possibly all of the above. So as I said at the beginning, I'm a solicitor, I'm a lawyer, I deal with legal issues. So I will often sit down with people and, and 
just sit down and, and take an hour out and, and say, look, these are all the things that you are entitled to legally. These are all the things that you need to know now you're in this world of care. And, but if you are therefore in the world of care and you are paying for it, that's where you need a specialist financial advisor who will sit there and go, okay, we've got this pot of money. Let's make sure that that works in the most efficient way for you. So I often work with financial advisors to say, look, between us, I'll tell you what you can, I'll tell you what you can and can't have. And they'll tell you if the money's being spent, the best way of maximizing it for you. Because ultimately, going back to your point about like, I want to stay at home and I don't have any savings. I will entirely be dependent on what the local authority will give me as, as far as care goes. So again, and a really important point when we're discussing this and people go, I don't want to pay for care. And I, I know you don't want to pay for care, but you might need care. And if you need care, well, you need to understand what that could look like. And it's a really crucial point that a local authority only has an obligation to meet care needs. So they establish what the care need is. And they establish what the very bare minimum is to meet that care need. Meeting that care need might be a million miles away from what you want by, by way of care. So the local authority might go, well, actually, all you need is 15 minutes in the morning to get you out of bed into your chair, 15 minutes at lunchtime to give you a cup of tea and a sandwich, 15 minutes at night to get you back into bed. That's it. That's that's 45 minutes, hour maybe, if you get somebody in for lunch. That's an hour a day. Those are the 23 hours. What does life look like? I don't know, you know, but I can't imagine it's much fun. If you're somebody who has care needs where you, where you need that level of support to get in and out of bed in the morning. If you want more care in terms of time, you want somebody to come in for an hour in the morning. And the local authority says, yeah, but we think 15 minutes is all you actually need, but you would like that extra 45 minutes. That's the difference between paying for it and not paying for it. So there's, I always, always mention the case at this point. There was a, a prima ballerina and she was in Knightsbridge in Chelsea, I think it was. And she'd had an illness that meant that she had incontinence issues. And she had carers paid for by the local authority to come in to help her with her toileting needs. Not very glamorous, but you know, it is, it is what it is. But the local authority then said, actually, that is too expensive for us to continue to provide to you having carers to come in to help with toileting needs. Your care needs can be met by incontinence pads. And she said, this is humiliating and degrading. And I can't believe you're going to do this to me because what a, way, what a way to live. And it went to court. The court rules in favour of the local authority because they said, well, actually, you know, there's only a finite pot of money and we have a lot of people we have to look, they have to look after. So yeah, those care needs are met right at the bottom. They are a million miles off what she perceived to be suitable. So I always say, think very carefully when you don't want to pay for care, what that might actually look like. It's grey area. The, this is where the, the whole of this conversation is going to be. We're not providing 
many answers to those people that probably feel right now that they're not being cared for. Well, but there are no answers. I was I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and they said honestly, best thing you can do at the moment is yeah, you know, we've got we'll we've got general election coming up. Talk, you know, find out what is in the manifesto about social care. Find out what people are saying. Find out where they're providing funding. That will tell you an awful lot about how important it is. Yeah, I don't want to make a political statement necessarily, but it was interesting, wasn't it, when Robert Jenrick, the Minister for Immigration, stated just last week, I think it was, that families yeah. should have more children in order to help their families with care. It's... I think I sort of said, utterly flabbergasted. It's just unbelievable. You know, it's positively Victorian. And, you know, you sort of think, well, you know, we'll have more children and send them down the mines and up the chimneys at the same time. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're not, the state is not going to provide care. Your children will. And, you know, it's, um, so this is a post I sort of started on LinkedIn and it sparked an awful lot of debate. And um, people saying, well, hang on, what about, I can't have children. I don't want children. I'm estranged from my children. I've got children who themselves have significant care needs. You know, learning disabilities, they themselves are in care themselves. How am I supposed to cope with that? Coupled with uh, the expectation, you know, state pension is now no longer, you know, in your 60s, it's 68. And how long before we end up 70 plus, you know? These people, I don't these think people Mr. Jenrick are... thought it through, do you? <laughs> I think is it possibly a generous response there? Yeah. 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 Um, it, it pro probably supports communism as well in China and the regime restricting <laughs> children. We'll have 1.5 children each. Indeed. Yeah, it, indeed. It doesn't, and, you know, as long as they're hale and hearty. Yeah, that's true. Of course, the other way to, to look at it is we should pay more taxes. That's been a question that's been raised a few times, hasn't it, in terms of paying more tax that can be ring-fenced, particularly for social care. The view has often been, and I don't know whether or not you come across this in your practice, that maybe it's a frustration of the service user or the, the person that needs social care do, do they get frustrated that once they understand that the NHS is free at the point of service up, a to, up to a point, that they then realise that the social care budget is underfunded, which is a constant conversation that we have as care providers. But, you know, the government likes to give billions to the NHS, but not necessarily billions to the social care environment. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I, I think people just cannot believe you know, they're not on a parity. The the the, the health and social care is not equally funded. And I think again, again, not not wishing to be political, but you know, we all, there's often talk about the health secretary. Their actual titles are health and social care secretary. And nobody ever met, nobody ever remembers that bit because it's all about the healthcare. And as, and I suppose you know, nobody expects to need care. You know, it's a bit like Spanish, you know, Monty Python and the Spanish Inquisition. You know, nobody expects it to happen to them. But if you need it, 
what does that look like? You may consider that, you know, the welfare state, such as it is, is, is a safety net, you know, but it's, I think it's a safety net with holes in and because it's so underfunded, even when people are trying to access what there is, it's nigh on impossible. I saw the news today, so somebody said, you know, I just haven't got any carers coming around anymore to help me just live my basic life. Uh, they, because they said, sorry, we just don't have the resource to provide that to you. And so it is woefully underfunded. I don't have the answer as, as to what that looks like because nobody wants to pay more tax. Nobody wants to pay more national insurance. We had a brief brief extra levy on national insurance for our, for our social care. That didn't last very long. <laughs> um, did anybody miss it? You know? And I think it's that. It's worth well, so 1%, percent, wasn't it, or something? Yeah. You know. Why did they cancel that again? I can't remember why they cancelled it. There was, I'm sure, there were very strong, valid reason. I, I'm sure there were very good, valid reasons, but it doesn't help the scenario. Well, I, I think I remember. It was the cost of living crisis that went up, wasn't it? The electricity and, and yeah. gas and fuel and those sort of things. So therefore, we're not going to look after the people that need care. But we're going to try and cap electricity costs. Yeah, that's that was it. Thinking further down the road, the Health Foundation report on how to fund social care indicated that a large number of people will need to be self-funded. That seems logical. Aging population, that means more people. Less money in the pot with local authorities. Means testing, maybe that's it. Lack of people having kids to support yeah. their loved ones. That that one just gets me. That's going to get me all day. I think. From your perspective, if I could bring it right back to where I started by introducing you as somebody that helps give legal advice on how to protect your assets and get the care you're entitled to, the Health Foundation is saying people are going to have to self-fund themselves. So what do you mean by helping people protect their assets? It's things like having open and honest dialogue like we're having now and saying, look, if you need care, do you want to pay for it? And if so, this is what it looks like, in which case, happy day. So often people come to me and say, I don't want to pay for care, so I want to give my house away to my kids. I go, great, so where are you going to live if your kids sell the house? What do you mean? Well, well, you've given it to them. It's theirs. Or, you know, you need care and your kids go, yeah, it's my house. You're not, you're not getting that. So or, often people come in with this, I want to protect my assets conversation. I'll go, no, <laughs> please go away. Please don't. Because I'm not going to, I'm not going to put you in a position where you are vulnerable. What I am going to say to people is look, there are certain things that we can do that are perfectly legitimate. A good example is if you've got often, you know, husband, wife, silver partner, who both own a property together and one of them dies, then the survivor is entitled to live in the property as long as they need. But the, the half share of the, the capital of the person who's died passes down to the next generation. It's a deferred gratification for them because it's guaranteed to go then. It's quite a nice halfway house because it means that whoever's left still has a roof over their head. 
if the house is sold, that capital can generate some income for them. But that capital that is tied up in the property that belongs to the person who's died goes to the next generation. And that can be a really nice way of having as much of your cake and eating it as possible because the person who owned that asset is no longer around. You're not putting somebody in a position where they are vulnerable. And, you know, that that can work. The other thing is, much as I love, you know, the NHS, I wouldn't criticise them, is saying, actually, you know that we have free at the point of delivery care. That does mean you, NHS. So if my client is sufficiently unwell, I think the NHS should be paying for it, but they are currently paying themselves, then you need to be paying for this. And this is why. Give you some practical examples. Um, I had... I had a phone call from a financial advisor and he went, yeah, that, you keep on going on about NHS continuing healthcare. And I said, yes. He said, well, I've got a couple, husband and wife. They've got house, modest savings, and he's been diagnosed with something particularly nasty and degenerative. And he's been told that the only care home that can deal with him and his particular care needs, because we know what they are, is in this county, which is outside the county that they were living in. And it's going to be £1,600 a week to pay for. And this is about 10 years ago. And he said, as you can imagine, she is distraught. She said, we've built up our life savings. We've got our house together. I'm going to have nothing. And I'm going, and I said, he said, so can you just do a solicitor's letter? I I love a solicitor's letter. So, yeah, get on to it and go, dear, dear local health board, as was, became Christian group, became now as the independent board. Have you assessed this person for NHS continuing healthcare funding? So before we start paying out £1,600 a week, have you actually done an assessment? The answer was, no, sorry, we haven't. We've done it now. Turns out he's eligible. So we went from £1,600 a week being paid out to a care home to payout to a care home needed whatsoever, which meant that his assets were protected, her assets were protected, and he got the care he needed paid for by the NHS in a care home. That's just, that is just one example. I have other examples where we've recovered funds from the NHS because people were wrongly paying out and the NHS should have been paying. We've had run-ins with local authorities who valued assets incorrectly um, and said, you know, you owe £75,000 because you you own this property. And we go, well, I think you'll find that they don't necessarily own it. You haven't looked very far beneath the surface, knocking down the bill to 17000 So by, by simply applying the law, going, I think you'll find that you haven't done your job properly. You've just sort of rattled off a letter to somebody and told them they have to pay this without doing your due diligence. And the other one, the other one I, I often think is amazing is that I had a, list, I had a client come in. So we do, I say, do a consultation. And she came in with two letters dated the same day. One was from, I think it was the local authority saying, your husband is going to be moving into this care home. And because he has assets, he is going to be paying this much money to this care home. The other letter, identical said, your husband has serious mental health issues 
and he has been sectioned under Section 3 of the Mental Health Act. He has been discharged from hospital, and this means he has free aftercare under Section 117. And I said, these two letters don't match up. One says you're paying an awful lot of money, the other one says you're paying nothing. Tell you what, let's put these two together, write a stroppy letter, and see where that gets us. And of course, ultimately, the, the answer was he had, his, he had his aftercare free. This is distressing stuff. This is hard stuff. This is emotive stuff. This is exhausting stuff. And it doesn't help when the institutions that you think are helping you are so overstretched, so underfunded, that they can't give the right support. And so the, to answer your asset protection question is, let's make sure that actually you're not just paying out when you shouldn't be. Because it might well be the case. Yeah. Now, now I might be a little bit wrong. It's been known before. <laughs> but this all sounds great. And, and I'm really pleased that you've been able to sort out some challenges for people. But frankly, 90% of the people out there won't have a clue what you've just been talking about. They wouldn't even think about coming to a solicitor. They're in desperate straits. They've got no money. They're trying to care for their loved one themselves because they can't seem to get the funding. What, what, what should they be thinking? What should, what should we on the podcast be telling people to do? How is it the care providers? Are the care providers, all these independent care providers with their outstanding ratings on CQC and good ratings, are they, are they educated enough in these sort of matters that when a client or a potential customer comes to them saying, oh, I need care, they don't just quote £1,300 a week. They say, well, it could be £1,300 a week, but have you thought about protecting your assets? Have you thought about speaking, being evaluated in a different way? Have you thought about, does that, does this sort of make sense to you? Where, where, yeah, yeah, where I'm trying to does. go to with this thought process. And joined up thinking it would be lovely. And there are some fabulous charities out there doing great work. And so, for example, Mind have some fantastic resources about mental health and the funding points. So, like I mentioned, then Age UK also have fantastic resources. And if you go and look for them, and it's that point where you go, well, who's going to tell me? And I, I, I had a chat with somebody once and she said, she said, I went into hospital, I had a baby. I got given this fabulous kit. Loads of stuff, loads of leaflets, loads of freebies. I was so well informed. And then I had a relative go into hospital, age-related illness, and they were like, well, we've patched you up. Bye. She went, why is nobody pulling together this sort of kidge? Like we have in maternity services, we have an aging population. We have people who are getting ill. 
surely there's got to be some, you know, the grey pound. Surely people must be keen on going after that grey pound. And, you know, I, I would like to think that we could perhaps get people together thinking about this and go, look, it's not fun. Nothing like as fun as having a baby, I'm sure. But, you know, because ultimately you're dealing with people who are getting ill and elderly. And but these people have rights as well. You know, these things called human rights and the right to dignity. And so I would love to see people joining up and saying, look, here's some info. Here's a package. Here's a resource. You know, the, the CARE Act is pretty good. It's a great piece of legislation you know, in, in and of itself. And so there's actually obligations on local authorities to do this. You know, and so if you go on their websites, they comply with this to the letter of the law. But you know, who's got time for that when you're being discharged at 4 p.m. on a Friday? To, to go on the website. Well, this is exactly people. it, isn't it? it? It's that point of crisis that we talk about when often people need care. And I would like to say that we've been talking a lot about the elderly, but there is, a, and, and we haven't got time to talk about it today, but there's a huge section of the community, the vulnerable and disabled, that do not necessarily get the support. And maybe the sort of things that you've been talking about today could also be relevant to them. Would that be right? Oh, goodness, yes. I mean, I, I talk about the elderly side of it because that's generally where I'm working because I am working with people who, you know, the conversations off going along and sort of, dad's had to fall, dad's in hospital, what on earth do I do now? And that, that's generally where, I, where I'm working. But yes, the, 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 the sort of young adults, these vulnerable people coming through, that's a whole other ballgame. You know, you, you know, that's... And I say there are some fabulous charities out there and some people doing some sterling work. It's just incredibly hard to pull together because for whatever reason, there's no appetite to fund it, whether that's individually or as a nation. For some reason, social care is the really poor relation of all of this. But, you know, we could go on for hours. About well, yeah, this. I could go on. For, I could go on for hours. Often people say, "Be quiet, Gavin, please." <laughs> so, I'll try not to go on for hours. I have another question, though, from your experience, and I have to ask you from your experience. You're the professional here. Do you see that there's a challenge between joined-up thinking in terms of the NHS and local authorities? Is is that a bit of a, a stumbling yep, box? Absolutely. Not, we we've heard about it so much about they're going to think in a similar way and talk to each other, but the NHS doesn't want to fund it. Local authority doesn't want to fund it. Somebody's maybe got to fund it. There are some elements of good practice, and I'm not trying to say that people, people I know everybody's working their socks off in very difficult circumstances. And you sometimes get to, uh, gets to the stage where, where everything's on fire, you just have to deal with the biggest fire. And... Until this issue becomes the biggest fire, it's it, there's there's not going to be that joined up. Thi there just won't be that joined up thinking. I think it's impossible. But I don't personally like watching things catch fire. But maybe maybe you have to let things break sometimes. We're hearing that things are broken. What's good? What's it going to take to effect that change? And I think it's going to have to start from the top down. So write to your MP, 
right to your local authority, right to your councillors, go to council meetings saying, what are you doing about this? This is this is important to us. And I've, I've got another observation, and you may want to share an opinion on it. If we If we think about the healthcare side of the equation, NHS, everybody knows the NHS, everybody knows a logo. Uh, during COVID, we clapped for the NHS and it was a while before we clapped for care. I've got a badge, which is a care badge. You don't see many of them around, mind you, but I've got one. It's not talked about much these days, not compared to the NHS. You know, there's a shortage of nurses. We hear lots of that in the media. We don't hear so much about the social care challenges. And I know within social care, we do have, I, I like to call it community care, by the way. I, I prefer it because it sort of paints a picture that it's actually community-based rather than social care, which could cross over, in my opinion, into the NHS in people's minds, because we talk about mental health and social well-being, those sort of things. So I, I like talking about community care. And I know we have organizations and associations that look after the interests of the sector, like the Home Care Association, which lobbies government. I get all that. But I do wonder whether or not, even though this is a bit of a ramble, this, but, but it's going somewhere, don't worry. Even though it was a Labour government that brought in the idea that the private sector could support people in the community better than local authorities, fact, it's co more cost-effective. But we do seem to have a lot of challenges around, in my opinion, multiple thousands of independent providers rather than a cohesive one brand called the NHS. We don't have a brand in social care. And I wonder whether or not that sort of prevents us from having the, the power of the voice that the NHS has in the eyes of the public because we're so disjointed by the people that are running the business. What you, is that something that you would agree with? Yeah, I, th I think it's hard, isn't it? Because the NHS is a state body. Local authorities are state bodies, albeit, I don't know how many we've got these days, you know, but we've got hundreds. Yeah, I think, of, I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. So you've got 160 local authorities each doing their own thing, dealing with, you know, their own client base or individual base and i think you know what well, in the last couple of weeks we've seen both, both birmingham and bristol birmingham and somerset councils go bankrupt so that was interesting and then it's the private sector the private sector is by far and away the largest provider of care as i could rattle off a large number of private care home providers these are not local authority run care homes these are run by large companies sometimes small companies, who all want to make a profit. So this, again, this perception, we understand the NHS, the NHS is cradle to grave and the state owns it. Local authorities are the welfare state that do the community care, do the social care, 160 different versions of said, you know, care provision. And then that mop up of private provision, whether that's care at home, or residential care. It's run it's run by private sector. Yeah, and we've seen a few panorama programs about the structures of some of these large uh, private residential care homes, which is quite confusing to say the least. 
but uh, let's not dwell on, on that side of it. I mean, everybody's trying to, aren't they? They're trying to do well. They're trying to deliver good quality care. My point really was more about whether or not, you know, if you've got, th- and there's thousands of, of individual businesses, they don't have the same sort of voice as the NHS. Yeah. And, and they, they can't have. They can't have. I mean, we, if we look at it, I was at the care show uh, this week and I was looking at some care awards, which was great. If people want to win awards for what they do, that's great. That's good for them. But then I got confused because that was the Birmingham Awards at the ICC, I think it was. And then last night, there's a set of awards at the Hilton Hotel, Care Leadership Awards. So there's lots of disjointed award ceremonies in the sector run by different organizations that are trying to promote care. So it just makes me think sometimes that the um, people like MP Jenrick might go, well, I can say what I like really about the social care side because there isn't a powerful enough voice to challenge me. It's an interesting, it's an interesting point. Uh, I think you... <laughs> it is, and I think people are trying to link arms. The NHS, as you say, we know the logo, we know what it stands for, the National Health Service. What is the National Care Service? I, I don't know. You know that, that there is. Or maybe we know, just we all, we all... maybe we just need to be taken into public hands again. Thousands <laughs> of the private companies. I best not say that because my sponsors are care providers, and they're doing very nicely. Thank you very much. But you know, the, the, sometimes the power is in the collective, and there's a lot more that can be done. And and I'm picking up on the point that you made for the audience, I still don't think there's a clear picture in my mind as to where do I go to get fair advice, even before I think about going to my local authority to get my needs assessment. Where do I go? Who do I speak to? The the latest one that's coming out, and by the way, somebody's coming on the podcast in in November, is about equity release. So I'm very pleased to have you here today talking about protecting assets. And, and yet there's financial organizations out there that are going to help you release equity out of your own house. So again, I, mixed messages in, in the nicest possible way. You know, we're all trying to help people either stay in their own home or pay for residential care somewhere. My constant mantra is care costs money. Somebody's got to pay. And, and, and who is it? Professionally. I don't think you'll win any elections on that basis. <laughs> Air cost money, somebody's got to pay. I don't think that's going to be in any manifesto <laughs> that you see over the next six months. Which brings me on to a very interesting point right at the end for a, a bit of a laugh. Did you read about the couple that went on 51 cruises because they said it's cheaper than paying for a care home? I did, and I absolutely love it. I think it's just a fabulous experience. And what a way to do it. Well, I don't have to clean the bedding, and everything gets cleaned for me. And I was like, it's quite nice, isn't it? And, you know, probably a doctor on board. So as long as you don't need significant assistance, why not? I I think it's an absolute genius idea if you can manage it. I can only make the assumption, because I only read part of the article. I didn't read the whole thing because I was jealous of 51 cruises. 
But I was thinking, well, maybe after 51 cruises, that means they've run out of money. They have no assets. And therefore, the state is going to have to pay for their care. I, I can only make that assumption. Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting take on it. What we'll watch this space. <laughs> We've come to the end. It's been fascinating. But I would like to ask you for your one piece of advice for anybody that doesn't quite know what to do. When we're talking about assets, we're talking about paying for care. What would you advise them? What's your simplistic rule of thumb? Persevere. Somebody somewhere will have information. It might not be the whole picture, but they will hopefully have enough to get you started. And then if they don't know, we'll point you in the direction of somebody who can fill in the rest of the blanks. Don't just assume that what you're being told is always accurate. Or be, be curious and persevere. Be curious and persevere. They do say, don't they, when you're, you've got a medical condition and you go online and you self-medicate, that that's not a good idea. I just wonder whether or not there could be a lot of information out there for people to find and they think that they're probably entitled to something when actually they're probably not. Yeah. But that's for people like you to untangle, I guess, Indeed. over time. At least if they're talking to you, they've made the right step. Would that be right? I, absolutely, yes. I, we can't always... It's not a magic bullet solution, um, but we can at least unpick some of it. Amazing. So if anybody's out there listening today and they're worried, concerned, unsure about paying for care, about the assets that they own, whether or not it should be used for residential care in any form, then perhaps Helleth is the right person to speak to. If they do want to find you, how do they? How do they reach oh, out and contact you? Benefits of having an, an unusual name. Google me. <laughs> um, but no, I'm very happy to have my contact details passed around. I am pretty readily easily able to find if you if you Google me, come through the website, Shakespeare Martineau, or find me on LinkedIn. Hello, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. And I look forward to speaking to you again sometime in the future. Thank you.